Hello, everyone. It's Graham Coth with another My Music. In a minute, I'm going to be speaking to Jim Biggs. But first, we're going to watch a man and his laptop get familiar with each other. <laughs> I need to get going, Mel. See you later. Oh, there you go. But not in the biblical sense, of course. Jim, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thanks for having me. What, what time is it there? Uh, so... 7.45 in the morning. 7.45 in the morning. I hope you've got a coffee or something there, sir. I uh, don't with me, but I'll have something right after this. <laughs> <laughs> right after to, to keep you awake. Um, we're going to be talking about your music, of course, in a minute. But where did music start for you? Where, where, when you were young, were you into music yourself? Did you have yeah, a family that um, were into music? Uh, I did not have family that was into music. <laughs> and when I was very young, I distinctly remember not really liking music very much because right. it, uh, as old as I am, I, I very early was living in the disco age. And from a very early age, I really did not like that music. But then uh, somewhere right in my uh, early teens, I heard a U2 song of all things um, and it just drew me in to it opened doors to me uh, from there. I started getting into post-punk stuff. I, I was originally grew up on the East coast here in America and had uh, a lot of rap and hip hop, early rap and hip hop stuff in my diet and uh, just became it just absolutely enthralled with music and when i went off to college i started working at my college radio station which gave me access to tons of music i probably otherwise wouldn't have heard and and uh yeah since then it's pretty much been the only interest i have aside from maybe baseball but you know yeah can you remember what u2 song it was i mean was this early u2 was it the more sort of the it, more punk it, element of u2 it was early u2 it was i will follow yeah, and uh, I heard that a couple years after the fact. Um, I not when it was fresh, but shortly after that, I discovered Live at Red Rocks and Unforgettable Fire, and and um, those were the things that really got me started. Yeah, what what was it about it? Was it the guitar sound? Was it was it the fact that you were hearing lyrics that actually meant something for a change? It it was uh, probably more the guitars than anything else that drew me in. Um, at the time, I really embraced the sort of lyrical value that that the the sort of uh, more substantive lyrics that that Bono had. Uh, subsequent to that, as I got older, I became less and less interested in lyrics and more and more interested in just the overall sound and, and things like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. But the, the... Far cry from "Oops, upside your head." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that that's really what you're? I think that that's really what you were saying there. I mean, it's. I mean, look, there's a time and a place for everything, and disco has a time and a place if you're if you're dancing to it, right? Oh yeah, you know? definitely. Um, for me, I've always had that kind of relationship with other forms of dance music. You know, I've I've actually DJed in my life as well in clubs and. 
you know, I've got nothing against, you know, good nightclub music, if you like, or good club oh, yeah. music. But for me, I can't sit and listen to club music or I wouldn't want to go and see a band necessarily performing club music because for me that belongs in a, in a in an environment where you're you're dancing yeah well and i mean just for me in the early 90s dance was a huge part of what i was consuming as a listener i was out at clubs all the time just getting uh getting uh, good times going with uh, big beat techno all that kind of stuff yeah absolutely who who in the early years of you listening to music influenced you then in terms of not just bands but in terms of whether were there a group of friends was there was there anybody close to you that uh, that said oh, listen to this on a regular basis not really um i was kind of no. on my own where I, I grew up in sort of a semi-rural semi-suburban area um and I found out later that there were plenty of people around me that were into <laughs> what we used to call college rock or alternative radio back then. But at the time, it felt like I was kind of an on an, on an island. Yeah. Um, the only weird influences I have were I, I lived close to a community swimming pool. And all summer long, they had a PA blaring music. And it kind of filled the whole neighborhood with music. And that could have been terrible. But the selections they were making were actually pretty cool for the time. Charlie Sexton and NXS and things like that. I mean, it was a little more, you know, mainstreamy, but it was it was something that I heard a lot. And uh, that probably had an influence. And then as far as local bands and things, there was really only one local band that seemed to play things like that. They were called The Other Band. Uh, they never went anywhere or anything, but uh, they were they played parties and events locally and covered things like Julian Cope and U2. Right. And yeah, yeah. so so there was a little bit there. Um, then when I got closer to the late 80s uh, college time, um, the Ocean Blue was from close to me where I grew up. And they were like the first incidents of like me seeing somebody local and going, wow, this this sounds like what I like. I, these are guys are great. And I mean, they've, they've of course been around a long time now, but, uh, but yeah, I just had to kind of find it where I could back then. Yeah, absolutely. I loved, um, you know, I always like to read, uh, when the, the, the PR press release comes through, I always like to read the, the list of, for fans of, uh, off of that. And of course the one thing that's, it had to for me because they were a massive influence for me that that stood out from that was throwing muses i mean how how important were throwing muses to you um actually it's funny you mentioned that because that was one that i i wouldn't have said that it was recommended if you like for us but i love throwing muses um i was especially a fan of tanya donnelly and and belly and that stuff uh um, that were something that I discovered on those uh, Sire Records used to put out these CD samplers back in the 80s or 90s, Just Say. There was Just Say Yes, Just Say yeah, Yo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where I first heard Throwing Muses and um, thought they were amazing. Uh, I think The Real Ramon is probably my favorite album of theirs. Not Too Soon, my favorite song, which is one of the Tanya songs. And um, I saw saw them play... 
oh geez 91 92 mm-hmm. um when uh Kristen was very pregnant and tanya mm-hmm. was very drunk and it was <laughs> good a, combination it was it was a actually a tremendously enjoyable show yeah yeah all right i remember seeing belly on their first outing in the uk um supported by the cranberries of all people as oh, well. wow. yeah. what what a tremendous uh combination to have Indeed. um you know fan- two two fantastic singer songwriters all in 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 one room um but yeah i mean it's you know that's a there's some there's some great bands on there the go-go's blondie you know uh the heart fobs well absolutely wonderful where down the line did you go i want to make music what what sort of age were you probably i mean I kind of started to want to in high school, but I didn't play anything and I didn't fancy myself a singer. So I didn't really know how to approach it. And um, I hadn't really discovered the simplicity of punk rock. And then when I got to college, I kind of rededicated myself to learning how to play something. I started on bass. Yep. And after about a year, I was like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't enough. I can't do everything I want to with this. And, just started taking guitar more seriously and uh initially just playing with some friends um kind of literally in a garage in some cases and it just it never really went anywhere and a couple years later um the college i went to was having a music festival Mm -hmm. and a friend of mine there who also worked at the radio station with me a, a guy named caleb caleb smith uh kind of pushed me a little bit and said, you know, you got to get a band together. You got to do something for this. And I took that as sort of a challenge and whipped up a band and we played, we were pretty terrible, but, um, it was a good experience. It was fun. And we stayed together for, I don't know, a year, year and a half, maybe more, uh, before everyone just parted ways because of moving on from school or whatever. And, uh, then, uh, a couple years after that, I uh, moved to Seattle and just tried to get more involved in music here. And I've been, I mean, in this band for nearly 20 years and yeah. played in a couple other bands before that and during, but, you know. Do you know, it, I've talked about this before with people that have come on the show, and, and it's something that I feel is perhaps a pressure on younger musicians coming through now, which. I don't think our generation necessarily had, which is that you, you described it there. We got together. <laughs> we were pretty awful, but we were having fun. There seems to be, there seems to be a lot more now of where young people won't necessarily get together in a band and make music, etc., if they just don't feel that they've got the talent because the fun aspect of it you know it, it that's not enough it's almost like it's now it's got to be you know we have got to be good and we've got to be tight and we've got to you know we've we've got to make this work if we're gonna if we're gonna do this whereas you know i was 14 when i joined a band and and it just was out of that it was out of hanging around with a group of people and going well you know we love music and we want to we want to have a go at this etc but <laughs> You know, to begin with, as you say, 
you suck but that yeah. doesn't matter right <laughs> that doesn't matter and actually there's a it's almost like there's i feel for younger bands these days that there's probably less time to just develop oh yeah yeah whereas i feel that there was something that a group of us went through which was that period of just being able to develop have the you know go into studios or whatever and have those conversations where you know someone goes why you know especially to people like drummers why are you hitting the drums all the time (laughs) (laughs) you know why why is the guitar so loud all the way through that yeah oh hadn't thought about that you know make texture tone you know uh you know learning like when not to play as as much as when to play all of those things it just could come with time but what there was there right from the start was just an initial energy do do, do you feel that as well that oh definitely and i i feel like there's two things going on there i feel like music has become such a commodity um it's such a business now and that coupled with the internet age when everything is recorded everything is captured i mean i know if i was starting out now i'd be terrified of somebody getting video of our horrible horrible show and just destroying our reputation before we ever had a chance to build one so i, I could i could definitely see why that would be it it i and i agree with you i, I feel like there is something they're really missing out on there just that opportunity to to stumble and fall and face plant and just <laughs> have ruinous things happen that don't haunt you for the rest of your career you know you can yeah, just kind of no, recover and move on yeah you're right the internet's played a massive part in that i think which is as you say that everything is captured everything's immediately out there and then the, and sort of the mechanism of doing that is you know we 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 used to record on tapes in fact before you could record on tapes before anyone could afford like a tascam or whatever or a, even a four track it would literally be a cassette recorder with oh yeah <laughs> you know and a cassette recording of a band playing just sounded awful anyway oh god yeah yeah whatever you whatever you were doing however good the band is you know even when you bought cassette tapes that were made like that bootlegs of people that were bands that you loved it sounded awful so you just went, oh, yeah, actually, <laughs> we don't sound much worse than that. But actually, you know, nowadays, everything's absolutely spotless. So it's, Yeah, it has to be. It has to be synced to a click track and auto-tuned, and it's it's almost airless. I, I, I've had that conversation a bunch of times lately about the death of rock and roll, and, and it's, I mean like any other music it's never really going to die and especially because of the internet because it'll always keep these sort of marginalized niche genres going but as far as a kind of a cultural monolith it's it's all but dead now um just where when we were teenagers musicians were cool and you dress like the rock and roll guys and all that now the next generation is far less obsessed with that and far more obsessed with video games and online culture. And that kind of defines the, the styles and trends and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's just a different, and I'm not, I mean, it's a bummer to me because I'm a rock and roll guy, but you know, Hey, things change. I mean, I remember wondering how my kids would rebel against me because I already listened to loud, obnoxious music, you know, and, what were they going to go back and listen to Lawrence Welk and no, instead it's just 
ignore music altogether and go to video games. So. And how much of that com coming from that, you know, sort of background and, and that sort of headspace as well, how much of that transfers over into it to what you're doing now in terms of when you're when you're putting together a record, going in to write a record again and even even in production of that record? Um not too much. Uh we have occasionally or I mean I have, I don't know if my band always shares these feelings, but uh thought like, well, you know, the guitar is dead, rock and roll is dead. Maybe we should be incorporating more electronic elements into what we do. And and we have written a couple things like that that have yet to be released and but it doesn't take long to drift away from that because that's really not who we are or who I am. Um I like having that stuff in there. I love electronic music, but um that's about as far as it goes on impacting me. Yeah, but it, in terms of when you start to write, etc., you are you you know deliberately not trying to get this right, if you know what I mean. If you you're oh. deliberately happy happy to allow. There's a there's a little bit of a mix there. I mean, I love the click track era because it's so much easier to edit and and cut the cool parts and keep the good or bad keep the good parts get rid of the bad parts and all that but at the same time um there definitely is a conscious effort on my part to leave in the mistakes and to give it some breath and some life and mm. and i don't really i mean we use some auto-tune but we don't abuse the auto-tune and if it's a little off that's okay and and i i've always been a fan and desired an element of chaos in what i do musically um i've done photography stuff for covers of previous albums where i use holga cameras and just randomly double expose and i i just like having something that's a little out of control in in all of the art i create and and uh that's definitely not a common thing in most new music but it's definitely a thing in the music we make well you had, look you've got that element in the cover of this as well in a way because oh it you, definitely is right because you yeah uh, for anyone that's uh listening to this in in uh technicolor um <laughs> what you've got is you've got a cover where you've got a, a a sofa white sofa which is pristine you've got a nice uh illuminated light shining down on that you've got a white um it's kind of a silvery white uh rug coming out of that the microphone hanging down, but then you've got this black guitar kind of spoiling the <laughs> spoiling yes. the maison scene. Yeah. Yep. And even the, the creation of the cover was a little bit of that because it was a concept I had and just drew a picture out and gave it to our, our drummer. Tony has a buddy, uh, CJ Burton, whom I've never met, but he gave him the picture and kind of told him, here's what he's thinking. And then CJ put the photo together for us. So I didn't really know what we'd get back. The concept I presented him was sort of awful, but he turned it around and like, that was exactly what I didn't even know I wanted in this photo. And yeah, so I, it was a little bit beyond my control. And then the back cover of the album, he did on his own. He just kind of continued on with a combination of his aesthetic and ours and came up with this 
a second great image. So it was, uh, yeah, even there, it's just something a little out of control. But even the title, Washed in the Sound with, you know, for me, that just, you know, that, that kind of sums up that whole feeling as well, because um, it's a, a little bit like Marillion did an album a few years back uh, called Sounds That Can't Be Made, which I loved as, a, as an album title because that is, that's great. Yeah. You know, which which is to do with the fact that, you know, we as people, we resonate or we emanate sounds, if you like, or kind of a, a sound energy when we're in love or when we're, you know, if we, we can speak to people without speaking to them. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And music does that. And, you know, this washed in the sound with, you know, it's like, well, there, there can be, there can be kind of perfection, but we, we want to wash it in a, you know, it's like a, like a wash over something as well that enables it to be almost better because it's actually not perfect. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And uh, part of the whole concept is, I mean, just what you were kind of alluding to is just letting it just run over you, just hopefully letting it kind of envelop you. And I, I know almost every band says, hey, you got to listen to our music loud, man. But as I've been listening to this album, just kind of checking and rechecking it, <laughs> I've found that the louder I crank it in my phones, the more detail comes out, the more it really does sound better at volume that's it it just it has an opportunity to kind of overwhelm you to surround you it's, it's yeah it's definitely the way i would advise people listen to our album yeah i, I mean as you say it sounds corny because you it <laughs> it's the kind of spinal tap type thing isn't it you know spinal yep. tap bad news play it at 11 but but now some music isn't designed to be listened to uh down here and and just in the background what 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 you're saying as well which is really quite important is that this is music to actually listen to yeah as opposed to hear um, again yeah. another conversation that i've had with um several people that have passed through this door but again do you, do you feel that that's an issue these days is that people are just hearing music but not necessarily listening to it oh sure i i mean it's become so readily available it's you know there's plenty of places to stream music and all that there's it's always in the background it's licensing to tv shows it's just omnipresent so it's you kind of got to make a special effort to go out and listen to music and it's something that and that takes time and it takes your attention away from other things, which can be difficult, uh, you know, in, in the way the world is now. I mean, so much going on all the time. So fast paced. So everybody's working so hard. It's, it's hard to take out the time to do that. It, you, you talked earlier about rock and roll in a way, you know, not being dead, but just being different <laughs> from yeah. how it used to be. You're in Seattle, right? Yeah, I mean, how how much of how much of the sound of what you do comes from the fact that you're in Seattle and the history from Seattle and just the vibe that comes out of Seattle? I I don't know. 
I don't know that much of it comes from the history of, but I, you know, you can't help but be influenced by your surroundings. I mean, the sort of gray dreariness for which we're famed uh, all winter long can kind of inform moods. But something that gets talked about a lot less is how spectacular our spring, summer, early fall are. It's just like today, it's gorgeous, bright sun, nice breeze. And that can inform things as well. Um, and the city itself, uh, there's a lot of complaining around here about how much the city has changed. And it has. It's been overwhelmed by, I guess, what we commonly call tech bros mm. who are not very involved in music or the music scene they're they're here and they have a lot of disposable income but they're not spending it on the music scene which has kind of made the scene wither a little bit uh when we started out there was a lot more going on a lot more camaraderie a lot more support of local bands and that was very inspiring at the time that's a little bit of a struggle now yeah uh, as far as like the the grunge and stuff like that not very much it was i enjoyed that stuff when it was going on but i wasn't here i got here in 95 just kind of at the tail end of that so it didn't really affect me as much as it might have but it sounds like it's a place of juxtaposition oh definitely and i mean there's still a lot of artists and still a lot of musicians here and a lot of music being made it's just harder to find um so it's it the black it's the black guitar on the white background again yeah very yeah. much so yeah yeah we're constantly spoiling <laughs> their plans to turn this into a beautiful techno technopolis or whatever you want to call it and yeah here we are just where everybody wears a facebook t-shirt uh yeah. yeah absolutely or or you know works for google yeah absolutely i mean you know god forbid hey <laughs> indeed so tell me, um, for people that want to listen to this, uh, for a start, actually, just tell people in your own words, what what would you say your sound is? Well, it's I mean, it's funny. This this latest single is uh, fronted by uh, Claire Tucker, who is one of my bandmates. Um, it's kind of the first time that we've ever put out something with the female lead vocalist. We've had a, a lot of uh, women in the band over the years, but... So the the comparisons to Blondie and the Go-Go's and stuff may be overall a little misleading, although um, they're not totally devoid or missing from the other songs. Um, we're kind of a psychedelic indie band. Uh, I grew up liking shoegaze music more than anything else, and that atmospheric stuff definitely carries into what we do, but... I'm also a huge pop fan, so there's always a hook or a riff or something in our songs to try to catch your attention. And um, yeah, I mean, we cover a lot of bases, and on this album especially, we've tried to diversify our style a little bit to get try out some new things. I mean, you see, so the the black and white goes back to spiritualized and people like that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that uh, I've got a Spaceman Three tattoo that. Jason and Pete were guiding lights for me. Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to get hold of your music and listen to it now that they're informed and they, they, they've heard a little bit of you, they want to go and find out what the music really actually tastes like. I like the, oh, yeah. I like the idea of music tasting as opposed to just listening to it. Um, where Where's the best place for people to go? 
Um, the best place is probably Bandcamp. It's the most uh, artist friendly, and we're at just Black Knight Crash, and it's N I T E, not N I G H T. Uh, Black Knight Crash. Um, you can find us all over the usual places: Apple, Spotify, all those places. Um, we've got some videos up on YouTube, uh, and we're always playing live shows here in Seattle in the Northwest. We're hoping to get out on tour this spring. So we'll see how that all goes. But yeah, Bandcamp is definitely the place I would direct people first. That's cool. And the, the single came out yesterday, I believe. Yes. Yep. So that's ready to go. Go and support this band. Go and support Black Knight Crash. Go and listen to it. Find out a little bit for yourself. Um, you know, Suggest to them that they should have lots of merchandise on their site because you'd want to buy it. Um, if you if you are one of those people that likes to stream music um, and not pay for it, that's fine. You you go and do that, but but tell them that you'd like to buy some merchandise instead. Uh, that's that's always my advice because okay? you can support bands in other ways. Buy them a cup of coffee, um, especially with the price that coffee is now. I believe it's ten pounds for a cup. <laughs> <laughs> so you know uh do that instead or pay pay their heating bill for the winter which whichever one of those you want to do but just make sure you do actually pay for your music folks because otherwise musicians will just stop making it um because they are human beings after all and as much as they love doing it for the, the for the sake of it um that they do have to survive jim it's been a pleasure talking to you today thanks for diving in a little bit to your past in terms of music definitely um, thanks for having me you know it's it's a pleasure and i'm sure every you know there's going to be a whole bunch of people as well from this interview who are going to go and check out the u2 song uh because they probably never heard of it as well so at this point yeah it's classic rock now i mean it is it, actually you know i think people didn't realize that u2 there been a whole load of people that didn't realize that u2 were a band before the joshua tree so there we go there <laughs> they're now educated yeah Indeed. thanks for joining me uh and i'll speak soon bye for now great thanks graham bye bye